The UN says that humanity stands on the brink of catastrophic man-made climate change. But is it true? Not a chance. But we do stand on the brink of catastrophic government policies that threaten to ruin the nation our forefathers built and defended against tyranny. So what drives the climate scare, Jay? Besides simple ignorance, the scare is driven by corporate greed and the desire of governments to control all aspects of our lives, Tom. Is this part of something more sinister? Indeed it is. Whether it's climate change or a pandemic or socialism, it really means sacrificing your rights and accepting the tyranny of the fourth branch of government, the bureaucracy. It must be stopped. This is The Other Side of the Story with Dr. Jay Lair and Tom Harris of the International Climate Science Coalition. Hey Jay, there's lots of great developments in the last week that we should share with our listening audience. Yes, Tom, we're going to spend most of this hour talking about uh, cryptocurrency, which I know will be fascinating to an audience uh, who's generally confused by the topic. But as you said, let's first share some really good news. One of the things I'm excited about in this country is that 67 solar and wind farms have been voted down by their uh, communities. In election news, uh, school board elections look like they're going to be major turning uh, Republicans and conservatives in because it's the Democrats that have taken control of the uh, school boards and parents are very upset. And finally, from my side, Republican governors are leading in the polls, particularly in those states where Democratic governors have locked kids out of their schools and locked them in their homes. So uh, every bit of news is looking like the uh, election November 8th midterm here in the United States is going to go extremely well for the Republicans and very badly for the Democrats. And with only 13 days left, I don't see what this tyrannical U.S. administration can do to change that. I understand you've got the best news at all. Your elections in in Ottawa have gone uh, as well as you might have hoped. And I know the uh, International Climate Science Coalition uh, has worked very hard to go to the meetings and, and spread the truth without much success at the meetings, but it had an impact on the voters. So tell us about it, Tom. Yeah, sure. We had a municipal election here just two days ago here in Ottawa. But back in July, the candidacy for mayor was being led by a climate activist. She had over a 35% rise, 38, 40% rise, you know, in, uh, over the next candidate. It looked like she was going to be a shoe in for mayor of Ottawa. Her name was Catherine McKenney, and she was a counselor in the city of Ottawa. And she was one of the major supporters of the climate scare in the city. Ottawa declared a climate emergency. Then they came up with this insane $57 billion plan for a city of a million. 710 industrial wind turbines all over the city, 36 square kilometers of solar panels. It looked pretty bleak. It looked like she was going to win the mayorship. Well, we have been trying to educate citizens of Ottawa, and we actually organized something called Project Trumpet. And Project Trumpet was a project in which we had various volunteer activists, freedom fighters, basically, who got together and decided ahead of time 
what questions we would ask of the mayor candidates. And we had some bombshell questions. And I think the organizers who, by the way, were climate activists, they organized the first four mayor debates, if you can believe that. I think the organizers were shocked because the community television station actually censored out a number of the questions that we asked. We had fully half of all the questions. For example, one of them, we cited Catherine McKenney when she was saying, oh, you know, uh, wind power doesn't play a major role in our plan. Because, of course, I brought up in the uh, debates the fact that 700 people died in Texas in February 2021 because of their over-reliance on wind power when that cold snap hit. And she says, oh, well, wind power doesn't play a very major role. Well, we organized with one of our volunteers to get up and actually read what's in the plan. And the plan had triple the amount of wind as it did solar. So she said to McKenney, she said, did you vote for a $57 billion plan without reading it first? <laughs> and, you know, questions like that, which really put her on the hot seat and put anybody else on the hot seat who was supporting the plans. And over time, we handed out flyers at the, all the events. We asked questions. You know, we, I did radio and TV interviews. We got people, you know, active on the Internet. Over time, I think it contributed because in the final analysis on voting day, she lost by 15%. So, you know, we can't claim that we were responsible for that because the police also came out vehemently against her defund the police actions. But I think it's an, an encouraging example to conservatives as if you stand up and you're effective and you use some of the tools that the left used to take over our society, you know, things from Alinsky's rules for radicals. If you actually use those strategies to help fight back, conservatives can win. And so that's what we demonstrated with this pilot study. And I encourage anybody who's listening to this program, if you have a local town council or you know, various other state or government officials who are promoting the climate scare and you want to fight back, get in touch with us because we use Alinsky's rules. He must be rolling over in his grave. We used his rules basically to get Ottawa to wake up. And we won in the final analysis. They have a mayor now who is Still somewhat of a climate alarmist, but nothing like Catherine McKinney. So, yeah, I do encourage people to contact us, send us your circumstances, and we'd be happy to help you fight back because there are ways to do it. And, well, in our case, we won. The best way to contact us is to go to icsc-climate.com. That's our homepage, icsc-climate.com, and click on contact, and you can see how to contact us. Well, that's great, uh, Tom. As a matter of fact, two weeks from this weekend, our guest is John Tucker, who is a citizen climate warrior that does things like you're talking about as an organization uh, to go to meetings and uh, fight the climate fraud. And we need all the people we can get in this battle to really save our economy. And uh, so many of our listeners, I'm hoping, will take the lead and get out and, and do something. But uh, the rest of this program, we want to talk about something that I know way more than half our audience is confused. And the topic is cryptocurrency. Uh, yeah. it, it's, it's very confusing. I'll start out with a little bit of a brief definition of cryptocurrency. It started a little over a decade ago when uh, an anonymous fellow, he had a name, but nobody ever found out who he really was, came up with the idea of uh, putting 
money on the internet that didn't really exist. And he figured out a, a computer program that with lots of puzzles. And if you could solve the puzzles, you actually uh, gained internet currency. Uh, he called his stuff a Bitcoin and he buried, so to speak, in the internet, 21 million Bitcoins and advertised them enough so that they could be used. You could trade things. The idea was that we'd have money that the, the government and the banks uh, had no interest in. The money didn't go through them. So it started a whole concept of money that was out of reach of the government. And that, uh, it started with Bitcoin. There are nine other cryptocurrencies, very, very small. Uh, number two is Ethereum. Their value is in multiple thousands. All the others are, are very small and, and do different things. But it's uh, scared the hell out of our government because they want to control the money. Now, how do they actually determine what the value of a Bitcoin would be? <laughs> That's in the marketplace. It's kind of a, a, a casino. Uh, organizations do uh, have a market. You can buy and trade and sell Bitcoin. So it started a lot of cryptocurrency businesses, but their value is whatever you're willing to pay for. So uh, it's kind of like uh, the stock market in a certain sense, although most stocks have something tangible to back them up. Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies really don't have a tangible commodity to back them up as we once had with uh, gold and silver. So their value is uh, simply whatever you're willing to pay for a Bitcoin or uh, for an Ethereum. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's clearly a type of, of gambling. You hope that you buy it at a certain value. Uh, believe it or not, it's uh, ranged since its introduction 10 years ago, uh, all the way from $6,000 for a Bitcoin to $60,000 for a Bitcoin. Uh -oh. uh, they're now selling for around 20,000, but very, very volatile. Oh, wow. Well, it's not a tangible coin in that you could hold it in your hand. So what does it look like in your bank account or your crypto account? It's simply a number in your uh, account. It could be one or 10 or uh, 2.45 Bitcoins. They can be uh, broken up. So it's just a number that you can access on the internet by virtue of your having uh, a numerical or a letters identifier that you can get into your account on the internet. Now, the thing about it is it was set up in such a way that it can't be stolen like it can rob a bank. And the reason for that is the computer that is storing and keeping track of all this money is, uh, has hundreds or if not thousands of nodes uh, in what's called a blockchain. And in order to steal any of this imaginary internet money, you have to be altering hundreds, if not thousands of computer nodes that exist in the internet. So mm. it really can't be hacked, it can't be stolen. And everybody who is dealing with Bitcoin 
who owns one or fractions or multiple Bitcoin, they have an identifying code uh, once they obtain a Bitcoin or, or buy them or sell them, and they can go into the internet and find out how many they have. And so far, uh, nobody has been able to steal them. Yeah. So it's like, it's not just double, triple, quadruple. It's a thousand times redundancy to make it secure. That, that is exactly right. You said it in the least number of words and uh, precisely right. You would have to be able to control 51% of that redundancy to actually uh, draw out somebody else's Bitcoin. Wow. Well, now let's say I want to buy a car with some of my Bitcoins. Now, how does the car company know what it's getting since they vary? And what is the value of the Bitcoins? That, that you know, I mean, how does that work exactly? Well, numerous companies around the world have said they will uh, accept Bitcoin for the product they sell. And a car is a good example. So at a certain point, a car dealer who is willing to accept Bitcoin would know that day what the value of a Bitcoin is. And it could be transferred from the buyer's account into the auto seller's account. And of course, his hope will be that the amount of Bitcoin he got for the car is going to increase uh, in value in the coming uh, months or years. And he'll not only have sold a car, he will have gambled that the amount of money he sold it for would increase. But that is a gamble. So as you would imagine, there are not a lot of establishments at this point taking Bitcoin. And generally, they have to be selling something of great value. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, how do you get like an original Bitcoin? Let's say tomorrow I wanted to buy a Bitcoin. Can you do that? Uh, yes, you, there are companies that sell Bitcoin. And again, it's a gamble. They would have a certain price to buy a Bitcoin or fractions of Bitcoins or multiple Bitcoins. And that uh, what they sell it to you for may go up or down the following day, week or, or month. But you can obtain Bitcoin. Initially, the Bitcoins were mined through solving computer puzzles. And a fellow by the name of Sakamoto, that was a pseudonym, nobody knows who he is. Uh, he set up this situation that there were 21 million Bitcoins, and that's all there still are. And you'd have to jump through a lot of rings, solving a lot of computer programs until you hit the jackpot and got a Bitcoin. Now, this mm -hmm. has been going on for over a decade, 18 and a half million Bitcoins have been successfully mined and they're in possession of people all over the world. Uh, there are still miners going looking for one or more of the million and a half that are still buried in the Internet. But the amount of computer power required to mine uh, a Bitcoin is gigantic. The amount mm -hmm. of electricity used, I mean, you need literally hundreds of banks of computers today to successfully solve the puzzles and get a Bitcoin. In the uh, 10 years ago, it was a little bit easier. So the first miners, uh, just as would be the first miners for gold, were more successful in getting Bitcoins than any of today's miners. 
Oh, that's interesting. So in fact, there are still some coins yet to be mined that nobody actually owns. Is that right? That is correct. There, there are one and a half million Bitcoins out there. Really, it would be almost impossible for an individual to successfully mine it. They would not have the computer power uh, or and the investment in electricity is huge. Uh, mm. In other words, it's very possible if a company wanted to really go into mining and get a Bitcoin, they could easily spend more money on the electricity to find a Bitcoin than the actual value of the Bitcoin today. Yeah, yeah. So in some sense, that's very much like mining minerals. I mean, you do get to a point where it's not worth retrieving them. You're absolutely, that's a perfect analogy, Tom. It is like mining minerals. And, you know, in the early days of the gold rush, it was easy to find a stream that had a little flecks of gold in it. Today, uh, that is very, very uh, difficult. And even with gold, there was a certain volatility. But uh, the, the analogy between gold mining and a gold standard and the 21 million bitcoins uh, is uh, close to being similar. Uh-huh. Now, actually, that I want to jump a little bit ahead, and that is, can you talk a little bit about our money used to be backed by gold and silver, and when did that change, and why did it change? Uh, Nixon took us off the gold standard, and uh, I think it changed because government wanted to control the money supply. Our money up until into the 40s was all backed. If you looked at a paper dollar, it was backed by so much silver or so much gold. And theoretically, you could turn it into Fort Knox and, uh, and, and get the, that, that commodity of gold and silver. And gold and silver, especially gold, were used as the backing because there, there appears to be a relative set amount of gold in the world. We don't find huge new caches of gold that would inflate uh, the money. So the, the commodity of gold was a very good standard. But the government got off it because they wanted more control of the money supply. Very simply, they wanted to print money. And it's called fiat money, F-I-A-T. And fiat money is defined as money that is printed, created, it could be coined, by the government and you can't trade it in for anything. Uh, <laughs> you just have to trust that its value will stay constant. But of course, it never stays constant. It always inflates. Uh, mm -hmm. It's very rare that you have any money today that will not be worth a little bit less next year. Yeah, well, this is like a form of theft, isn't it? I mean, the government, by, by having more and more inflation, two things happen. First of all, your savings are worth less, but, but also you come into a higher income bracket. You know, if you want to earn as much money now as somebody who did in 1950, you've got to earn a lot higher dollar figure. And then, of course, you go into a higher income tax bracket. So, I mean, really, that's stealing money from the public. <laughs> you're, you're exactly right. And the, it, most people are aware that inflation takes money away, but they don't think of the fact that they can get in a higher tax bracket, and also have to pay more income tax. So you're, uh, you're exactly right. But they're mm -hmm. so, people are so used to this inflationary theft of their money that for some reason they don't complain. Now, 
let's say in the last year with this very terrible administration we have, inflation has gone up. It's a question whether it's it's somewhere between 8% and 12%. And people are aware that the money in their savings account uh, is now worth 10 or or so percent less than it was before this administration. So people are aware of it at a high inflation level. But generally, the inflation level is in the order of, of 2 to 3%, and they put up with it and uh, don't notice it so much. But uh, this year has been terrible that way, and I'm uh, quite confident that the Republicans will take a big majority in the House of Representatives because people are tired of having the government essentially steal money from them, but actually stealing value of their money from them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, to give people an idea of the magnitude of cryptocurrency, 1% of world commerce right now is done using Bitcoins and other cryptocurrencies like Ethereum, Ethereum versus money created by the government, fiat money. So what fraction is now going on? <laughs> well, that's a, a terrific uh, question, Tom, and nobody can answer it precisely, but I'm sure that I'm accurate to say that it's in the order of a millionth of 1%. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, it, it's so tiny. Uh, uh, nobody knows exactly how many zeros to the right of the decimal point you have to go <laughs> before you uh, get to a whole number. It's very tiny. The, the concept of it is ultimately to do away with fiat money, uh, not to have a gold standard, and that all money and all trading would be in cryptocurrency, probably Bitcoin, although a competitor could be used in some countries, and move the government out of it altogether, uh, move the banks out of it altogether. Uh, That's a dream to be wished for because none of us really are crazy about either the government's control of money or banks, but it's unlikely to happen. Well, I, I think I can, unless we have some children Listening in, I doubt if it'll happen in the lifetime of uh, our average listener. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see. Now it's interesting that despite its tiny amount, across, you know, in comparison with fiat money, it's still opposed by liberals and conservative politicians, and that's an interesting thing. Where you have Trump and you know Pelosi and other people, they're totally opposite politically, but they all oppose the cryptocurrency. Why is that? Well. <laughs> It, it could be the only issue that has bipartisan support. And the reason is the ability to print money, control the economy through the value of money uh, is something all politicians want to do. So whether you're a Republican or Democrat, you want to control the value of money. You want to get a project through, you want to be able to print money. We've never seen it in our lifetimes like we have in the last year. I mean, the government has given out billions of dollars uh, to people during uh, COVID. They have now tried to cancel all student debt. That's about a trillion dollars of income they won't get if they continue with that project. So there, there are no politicians. By definition, there are no politicians that don't have projects that cost money. And mm-hmm. the ability to print your own money is, is an invaluable uh, gift in the election. I mean, if you've ever played Monopoly, you know, where you, 
throw dice and get money and you buy houses going around a board. Imagine you would never lose in a Monopoly game if you could print your own yeah. paper money <laughs> in the game. But you can't. There's a fixed amount. And uh, therefore, in Monopoly, uh, you don't have inflation. And mm. if we had a fixed we, uh, amount of cryptocurrency or if we went back to the gold standard, which I strongly favor, uh, it would really uh, be a huge hit for, uh, for governments and banks, essentially getting the middleman out. That's the whole idea of it. And it really is neat. Whether it ever happens big time, I don't know. But as we've said, there are many, many things around the world you can buy and sell today with Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about fiat money, is the thing that defines fiat as is it defined by the ability to print as much as you want? Uh, yes, it is. It, it, it means it has really only the value of trust. Mm. You can't trade it. I mean, if you go back historically, we bartered things. Uh, you know, we traded objects in the marketplace and those objects all had some perceived value by the people in the market. Well, now the way we have money with government printing it, uh, its value is entirely what it is to you. For instance, uh, your Canadian dollar has dropped in its value quite considerably in the last few years. You have a Canadian dollar, an American dollar, for whatever reasons, people don't, um, I guess because of your government, they don't value the Canadian dollar as much as they, they did in the past. There was a time that I recall vividly when the American dollar and the Canadian dollar had exactly the same value. There have even been a few times where the Canadian dollar had a little more. The, the people have decided it's uh, worth less today for whatever reason. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting, Jay. When I was about 10 years old, like I'm 69 now, so 59 years ago, I can remember the American dollar was definitely worth less than the Canadian dollar. And we used to save our allowance, you know, throughout the year because we would go holidaying in Maine, driving down from Montreal to Mount Desert Island, which was great, Bar Harbor, and we'd get more for our money. So, yeah, it's, it's quite different now to when I was young that the Canadian dollar was about a dollar six, you know, it was worth a dollar six American, which, you know, was wonderful for us. Now, do you think the government could be effective in controlling cryptocurrency? And if so, how would they do it? Well, I, I do think they can. They can pass a law outlawing Bitcoin, but I, they could pass laws making the trading of Bitcoin more complicated. Uh, I think there's a, a Central American country that is already uh, trying to take control of their cryptocurrency. If it really gains a head of steam, which it is doing now, uh, I would be very surprised within three years if there were not some uh, rules with regard to uh, buying and selling Bitcoin. I don't think it would be very easy, but somehow uh, they would throw a, a, a monkey wrench into the owners of Bitcoin's economic trading. So mm -hmm. I, I don't have a specific hand, but I can tell you there are people in the bowels of our government that are giving a lot of thought to it. So I mm -hmm. think it'll be tried. I think it will not be totally successful. One of the things, one reason why 
the government is not yet too worried about it because it's going to take a huge amount of time, you know, to build up commerce uh, in uh, in cryptocurrency. So it's uh, th- there's no critical hurry. And I can tell you though that the people that support cryptocurrency are very patient. Uh, mm-hmm. They may not benefit in their lifetimes, but they're true believers in the concept. And and I believe in the concept. I think definitely I'd love to see government and banking out of the the money supply uh, to a great degree. And uh, the fact that it'll happen eventually it, it is, is still enough happiness for the people who really think cryptocurrency is uh, the next big thing. Mm-hmm. It strikes me that it's also better when it comes to things like private donations to the truckers convoy. Because here in Canada, the federal government told banks to freeze accounts, freeze bank accounts, not allow people to take out money when they were donating to the truckers convoy. And, you know, we had crazy stories about, you know, single mothers uh, actually getting their bank accounts frozen because they gave 50 bucks to the convoy. If it's if it's cryptocurrency, surely it'd be harder for the government to do that. Uh, absolutely. You've really brought up uh, the the very, very positive side of cryptocurrency, being able to do things with your money that the government can't track. And there isn't much of your money that uh, fits that description today. And that was a major disgrace that most of the world learned about with the, uh, the truckers that were working against uh, forced COVID vaccinations. They were able to find out who they were and freeze their accounts. Uh, that can never be done with cryptocurrency. But there is another side to that that is uh, somewhat unfortunate. The biggest first adopters of cryptocurrency are those who have other reasons to hide their financial transactions. And that tends to be the criminal underworld. Uh, mm-hmm. It is believed that a, a great deal of drug traffic and other illegal things are using uh, cryptocurrency to trade money uh, out of the sight of government. We got to go to a break right now, but let, let's get back onto that right after the break. You already know Genesis plus HOCL is your best defense against viruses. But did you also know it's the most powerful weapon for eliminating airborne mold too? Customers are raving about the Genesis Fogger's ability to tackle mold problems and the bad smells that go with them. And we all know mold is a hazard to your health. There's no airborne invader that Genesis can't handle. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. All right, you've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the povidone iodine-based nasal spray Cofix RX. They talk about it because it's a product that actually works in combating colds, flus, and coronaviruses. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. It's simple. By attacking viruses where they incubate, you make it easier for your body to heal. Check out the Cofix RX banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD. For 40 years, alarmists have been warning of a climate catastrophe, yet none of their dire predictions have come true. Temperatures have not soared, sea level rise has not been unusual, 
and extreme weather events have not increased in either frequency or intensity. In short, there is no climate emergency. For 15 years, the International Climate Science Coalition has led the call for climate realism and a Made in America climate plan, a plan based on real science that responds to the real world needs of Americans, supports economic growth, and strengthens our essential infrastructure, a plan that protects the environment and ensures that Americans can enjoy the blessings of clean air, clean land, and clean water for generations to come. It's time to put ideology and pseudoscience aside. It's time for a sensible climate plan. For more information or to donate, visit our website, icsc-climate.com. So we're back with Dr. Jay Lear and myself, Tom Harris, talking about cryptocurrency. So Jay, you were just mentioning that there is a criminal aspect to cryptocurrency, which is kind of a little bit frightening. It is, Tom, and I'd be willing to bet. Obviously, I can't prove it. The whole point of cryptocurrency is it's out of the eyesight or of the government and, and banks. And so there isn't any question that we have enough evidence to know that the underworld, the criminal activities have taken advantage of cryptocurrency uh, in advance of the, the general public. So if you're selling a great deal of, of, of drugs or buying drugs in large quantities, we don't not talking about, you know, drug dealers on the corner of a bad neighborhood, but the movement of money dealing with illicit activities was an early adopter. We know that mm. we're, we're not we've not been able to capture anybody hands down, but there have been some investigations uh, about it. And certainly our FBI uh, is working on it to see uh, whether they can hold off drug dealers as an example. But it is unfortunate. And so it's a, a double-edged sword. We want the public to be able to use it out of sight of government and banks. We don't want criminals to use it. And we have not figured out uh, how to make that happen, how to how it allow uh, the positive use of it and stop the negative use. I mm -hmm. think it'll come with time. I'm not sure, but I think the smarter people than me will figure out some solutions to it. In any case, I sure hope so. Mm -hmm. So what fraction of people who own cryptocurrency are using it to actually buy and sell things versus people who are just speculating as if it were like a stock market? Well, Tom, there is no published number uh, and I, but I'm not going out on a limb to tell you at a minimum, 90% of the people who buy Bitcoin, uh, it's just a gambling investment. You can think of it as a stock on the stock market. But generally, when you buy stock in General Motors, you know they're uh, producing a product and they have value and they buy and sell. And so it, it has substantial backing. When you buy uh, shares, and you might buy a share of a company that owns a mix of uh, cryptocurrency, you're buying it only in hopes that the fellow or woman that comes in behind you is willing to pay more for it, which, mm -hmm. of course, that's a lot of the people in the stock market who do not hold on to stocks a long time. They buy this month and hope they can sell it higher next month or whatever period of time. 
but uh, I'm, I'm very comfortable saying 90% of the people holding Bitcoin are holding it just as a, a gamble and not with the idea of uh, they're going to use that Bitcoin to buy anything. Yeah. Well, just to go back to the fraction of cryptocurrency that is Bitcoin, I can't remember if you brought that up. What, what would you say most of it is Bitcoin versus the other ones? Yes, I can easily. I, 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 I checked the market on Bitcoin uh, yesterday, and I think the Bitcoin was somewhere in the order of 20,000. And the Ethereum, the number two, was somewhere in the order of 5,000. Uh, and eight other companies were $100 or less. Uh, mm. So uh, Bitcoin uh, probably has 80, 85% of the market. And I don't see that changing. Uh, everybody knows what a Bitcoin is. However, let me say this. The other cryptocurrencies can do other things. Ethereum, for example, you can, uh, you can put a contract, a secret contract to trade land into their blockchain. So mm. Ethereum was set up to more than hide financial transactions from the government or from banks. It was set up to, to have secret contracts for also buying and selling, but it's more, uh, uh, they can do more complicated things with it. So I think Ethereum will survive because as a company to company situation, where they want to hide their uh, transactions, uh, it, it's a, a broader development than just the Bitcoin. And we think of the Bitcoin as a coin. It doesn't really exist. Ethereum is more complicated, does more things. And of the other eight companies I've looked at, I think they also do other things which are more complicated than I want to get into on, on this show. But they were developed not just to compete with Bitcoin in all the ways that we've described it, but to do other things that would attract uh, other people to buy their internet money, so to speak. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, that's really interesting. You've, you, two years ago, you started learning about this and you were saying that at the beginning, even after reading two books, it was still hard to understand. Now that you've you know, learned even more, it sounds like you're very enthusiastic about it. Would you recommend that people start to get into Bitcoin, maybe a little at a time to get used to it? Well, what happened with me is a very close friend who, in fact, was a banker, uh, came to me uh, and knew that I had a, a pretty good mathematical you know, background as a scientist and asked me if I would uh, advise him whether or not to invest in Bitcoin. So I went out and got the best two books I could find on it, read them cover to cover, studied them. And I still, at the end of my study, did not feel confident enough to give him a recommendation as to how he uh, stood on the investment. It's kind of funny. I, I, I just hate it when I go to somebody for advice and the advice I get is, Oh, on the one hand, you can do this. And on the other hand, you can do that. I want an answer. I want a real recommendation. And I'm afraid when I finished my work, that was the answer uh, I gave him. Uh, he did invest a few thousand dollars in it. Uh, it's gone up and down right now. Uh, I know that he's ahead. And 
I would say that it, at this point, I, I would not spend $20,000 for a Bitcoin. But if uh, the volatility sends it down closer to $10,000 and you're a, a gambler at heart, so to speak, an investment gambler, uh, I probably would say it, it might be uh, a good bet. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, when I read about possible economic futures with maybe having a, a nuclear exchange in the Ukraine and things like that, people are saying you should buy gold and especially silver. But would cryptocurrency be a good, more solid source of, of savings, do you think, in, in the event of some sort of international <laughs> uncertainty? <laughs> Absolutely not. Of course, everybody has probably heard uh, commercials for gold on the radio or on, on TV. I mean, gold has been the stable. Now, I re we remember uh, in our youth, Tom, when gold was $35 an ounce, and now it's, uh, uh, it went and held around $1,200 an ounce. Now it's closer to $2,000 an ounce. But, but that's over you know, many, many decades. So gold has been a very stable uh, commodity. And generally, uh, people who are you know, nervous about uh, inflation and their money be hard to lose much on gold. That's to say, you might buy an ounce for $2,000 and in the next month it drops to $1,900. That's a 5% loss in your investment in gold. Uh, Bitcoin doesn't move in 5% increments. It tends to move in 25, even 50% oh, yeah. in increments if you followed it the last few years. So I definitely wouldn't, in, I wouldn't consider Bitcoin a hedge against inflation. I certainly would consider uh, gold a hedge. You might lose a little, you might gain a little, but you're not going to lose a lot. And mm -hmm. I, I, that's why I still favor going back on the gold standard, not likely to happen uh, because there was never good reason to get off the gold standard. Basically, it uh, just gave a, a lever to government people to do what they want to do with your money by printing all they wanted of it. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting. So you think we should go back to the gold standard and that that, in fact, would be better even than crypto? Oh, there's no question in my mind. I, I, I doubt if it's going to happen. I mean, there are certainly, I'm not alone in, in feeling that way, but in going back to studying why we got off the gold standard, uh, there was about as much evidence to get off the gold standard as there is ton that man controls the temperature of the planet. There is zero, there is zero reason to think that yeah. man has any impact whatsoever on the temperature of uh, planet Earth. And in, in my mind, all the study I've done on getting off the gold standard, there was just no argument uh, that held water at all. Yeah, and I guess the main point is that there's a limited supply. Is that the main attraction for gold? Absolutely. Uh, it's uh, it doesn't erode, <laughs> it doesn't go bad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it it stands the test of time, and while we don't know exactly how much uh, gold there is in the world, we've been mining it for more than a century, and it's safe to say that uh, the vast amount of gold in the world has been mined, and mm -hmm. that's also true of a Bitcoin. Uh, mm -hmm. Bitcoin's been going for over a decade. We know for sure uh, that uh, more than 90% of the Bitcoin has been found. So uh, stability in the commodity 
that backs your your money, whether it be paper or coin, is a, a critical part of a good monetary system. We don't have that now at all. Mm-hmm. It, it strikes me that if we had a major world war, that that would make crypto also quite vulnerable because it's based on all these computers and servers working. I mean, if they broke down, then I presume you would potentially lose a lot in cryptocurrency. That is an interesting question, Tom. I have recently been writing about the fact that uh, the absurd idea of getting rid of fossil fuels and going to wind and solar, uh, people say, well, will we have enough energy to, to heat in our houses in the winter and cool them in the summer? And uh, we think of many, many normal uses for electricity. What we've totally overlooked is the gigantic amount of electricity that is used in running computers. Mm-hmm. Literally, if, if our grids go down for lack of fossil fuels, uh, everything in the world is going to go down. This mm-hmm. world now runs on, on computers. Well, that would be true absolutely for uh, a cryptocurrency as well. I mean, they don't have, believe it or not, there are 500 data centers around the world with over a million square feet of, mm. of surface area, housing, all these com- banks of computers, each one the size of a refrigerator, and they would be in major trouble and will be if the liberals continue to cut off fossil fuels. The cryptocurrency uses electricity, but nothing, you know, they would be negatively impacted without question but it wouldn't be nearly as bad as almost everything that else that goes on in the world. Mm-hmm. So from the point of view of a prepper, you know, people that are preparing for future catastrophe, things like that, where they want to have independent food supplies, they want to have independent power, things like that. I mean, would the best solution be land? Would that even be better than gold, do you think? Well, you know, that's, that's interesting. Not many people have lost on an investment in land. You know, the old saw that uh, they don't make any more land. We Mm -hmm. had a guest, uh, uh, Richard Brock, on agriculture uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, he said that from an agricultural standpoint, they do create more land because you can clear a forest and and plant a crop. So uh, there is a little bit of volatility in land. But uh, in my lifetime of 86 years, and let's say I became aware of things going on maybe at uh, age of six. So for 80 years, I've not seen anybody uh, lose money in land. So on mm-hmm. the other hand, you can't, you can't sell it easily. You can put a mm-hmm. sign up for sale. So you, you, you don't have the ability. It's not a liquid asset. Gold is indeed a liquid asset. Anybody can sell uh, gold. It's interesting. A few years ago, there were all kinds of uh, ads for women to turn in their old jewelry. And mm. the price of gold was fairly high. And there were honest companies measuring how much gold was in the jewelry and uh, paying checks for it. I think my wife uh, sold $800 worth of uh, gold and jewelry. She had no idea was of any value. So gold is, uh, is liquid and stable. Land is stable but not liquid. Land mm-hmm. uh, will probably over time increase in value more than gold. But mm-hmm. uh, you, 
you can't move it and get your money for it in any short period of time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's really interesting. You know, you know, there was a book written by Larry Niven, the science fiction writer. I think he wrote it with Cornell. I can't remember, but it was called Lucifer's Hammer. And it was about a time in the future when a comet hit, hit the earth. And it actually led to a collapse of civilization. And the interesting thing was that the people who survived were those who actually had usable skills and they could get into the, you know, the forts because they had forts that were set up by rich people. If you were an engineer or someone like that, they would let you in because you could contribute. It sounds to me, and this is a little off topic, but it sounds to me like one of the best ways that preppers could prepare for a future catastrophe is to have skills to have really usable skills that would result in feeding people or producing electricity or whatever. You're absolutely right. And uh, in some weeks down the road, we're going to find uh, a university type person who's honest uh, and is willing to explain that the average college degree is no longer of any value. But the engineers, the mathematicians, the scientists, the doctors, they will always find uh, work. And as you say, they're the, the important people. I would say, uh, without going out on too much of a limb, that probably uh, in, in this day and age, half the people that graduate college with a degree have not advanced their value to society. They were sold a bill of goods by the university and the government gave uh, cheap money and loans to uh, pay for uh, getting into a university and uh, they got out, didn't have an advantage with, go- with jobs, didn't really have a very solid education. And uh, they ran up collectively in this country $1 trillion in debt. Uh, all of our listeners wow. have certainly heard that the president has wanted to forgive that debt. It's an argument, uh, you know, whether they should or shouldn't, it's still up in the air. But you, what you say is the, the kind of skills that will always go forward are engineers and uh, scientists, architects and the like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's the BAs that would be sadly turned away from the forts in a future catastrophe world. (laughs) Absolutely. I have a granddaughter that studied philosophy, got a degree from one of the finest universities in the country, also the most liberal, uh, California at Berkeley, UC Berkeley. And, uh, uh, what's she going to do with a uh, degree in philosophy? Well, uh, look for a job in any field that interests her. And, and the fact that she has a degree from Cal Berkeley says she's intelligent, so she will find work in other fields, but it hasn't been easy for her. Yeah, yeah. Just to sort of allay listeners' fears, do you think we are headed for a societal collapse? Because I have some friends, for example, who are stocking up on weapons and food and all sorts of things. I mean, do you think in the near future, say the next 15 years, we're headed for any kind of collapse? No chance one ever. And I mm. say this with such certitude. Two weeks ago, I went to New Orleans for the sole purpose of going to the World War II Museum that showed in, in living color took a couple days to see the war in the Pacific with Japan, the war in Europe with Germany, with Italy, the war in North Africa. And as you went through chronologically and you got to say where we were in 1942, there was no way anyone thought we could win that war. There Mm. is no way in 1942 anyone really thought we could win that war. But we did. 
and we will always win. It may take a little longer and it may take more people to join the fight. There is zero chance that our society will collapse in 15 years. And the road back for, I think, the whole country, it's really going to be the midterm elections for the United States. Because as the United States goes, many countries that are, you know, sort of less at a tipping point, they gain confidence that uh, all is not lost and they can fight back as well. That appears to be happening right now in Brazil. Uh, I'm hoping the day will come when uh, Canada will get rid of their communist leader. Uh, I could not be more optimistic. We're not going to get back what we've lost uh, in, in, in too quickly, but I'm very optimistic for a few years hence and definitely a decade from now. No pessimism here. Yeah, well, that's great to hear. So if people want to learn more about cryptocurrency, besides reading our article in America Out Loud that I'll link to under the podcast, is there a book or two that you would recommend or a lecture you think people should listen to? Uh, and of course, this show. <laughs> well, uh, you know, the article that uh, we have published uh, this week on uh, cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, uh, I think is the best, you know, short version of it. But you can go on the Internet and look up a list of all the cryptocurrencies and what they're selling for uh, today or, or yesterday. You can go to any one of the, the 10 different cryptocurrencies and find out how they're unique, how they're useful. So I have not found a book that wasn't too long and too complicated of all that I've read. But I found uh, the Internet. and We also know. You can't believe everything on the internet, but I haven't read anything in my research on cryptocurrency on the internet, Google and so on, uh, that, that wasn't absolutely solid. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. I'm wondering if we can just circle back to the very first topic we spoke about. And what we were thinking here is that with our Project Trumpet, and by the way, did you have anything more to say on crypto? No, I'm, uh, I could go on for hours. But I think for uh, our audience sake, uh, I'm hoping that everybody listening in and generally between our all our broadcasts on weekends and then our podcast, we've happily been getting a total of 50,000 listeners. Uh, I would like to think that way more than half of those listeners will uh, walk away from this program uh, with a much greater understanding of what cryptocurrency is. Because I've done uh, uh, surveys with people, and uh, I don't find more than one in 10 that really understands what's going on. Yeah, well, I now have a little bit better understanding, that's for sure. (laughs) So, yeah, circling back to the first topic, the, the whole idea behind our Project Trumpet was to actually have a pilot study in the city of Ottawa to show how we could actually activate people and volunteers to oppose the climate scare and to do it effectively and actually be heard by lots and lots of people. The hope being that this would be used as a sample of what conservatives can do to use the same methods that the liberals use to take over our society, but use it in reverse. And you might remember there was a time in the 1970s when generally speaking, conservatives were on the inside. They controlled our institutions and the liberals were on the outside. And so Alinsky wrote his Rules for Radicals for people who were disenfranchised, in his opinion, and how they would take over. 
Well, now the circumstance is reversed and the liberals control the institutions. So, I mean, I think that our pilot study here is a sample, an encouraging sample of what can be accomplished if conservatives really stand up. What do you think? I think it's a fabulous idea. What has been going on for many, many decades has been the movement of liberals into all of our institutions. There mm -hmm. really is not a board of directors of any professional society, any organization you can think of that has not been infiltrated over the last 20 years by liberals who have taken control of the organization very quietly, uh, not made a lot of noise. Uh, an example would be you could not find a professional society in physics or uh, chemistry, geology, architecture that doesn't promote man-caused global warming. These are yeah. educated people. So the idea of infiltrating back, of getting, uh, we need to talk more about in future programs uh, about the things that we can do as individuals, and one of which would be not turning away from the ability to serve on organizations that you belong to, run yeah. for their board, run for the school board, run for every board in the, that you can, you're involved in that you care about because they are today all run by liberal progressives, if not socialists and communists. And we got to yeah. fight back. That's going to take a decade, but a journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. Yeah, exactly. So I do encourage people, do reach out to us and let us know where we can help you fight back. In our debate, in our election, we were not against or for any candidate, but we were very definitely against the policy of the climate alarmists. And we believe this had a major effect. So we do encourage people, reach out to us, tell us what your circumstances are, and we'd be happy to help you fight back. The way to contact us is to go to our homepage at icsc-climate.com and click on the contact button. It'll give you our email address and phone number. So I hope people can reach out. We'd love to help you. You know, Jay, just as a final note, I think Alinsky must be rolling over in his grave <laughs> hearing that we used his rules to train activists on the conservative side. <laughs> well, well I'd, li I'd like to make his spin uh, more revolutions per minute by doing a future program, really instructing our audience exactly how to use the Alinsky method for success in conservative political circles. Yeah, exactly. And there's a nice audio book people should look up. I'll put it under the podcast. It's called Rules for Radical Conservatives, How to Fight Back. And this is something we really have to do. So this is Dr. Jay Lair and Tom Harris signing out from the other side of the story. <laughs> <laughs>